Hello, and welcome to the Park Cell Podcast. I'm Katherine Cloninger, your host of today's episode of New Medicine's Novel Insights. I'm delighted to welcome Sangeeta Budia, who's the Vice President and Global Head of Pricing and Market Access for Parexcel. And today she'll speak to some of the challenges that rare disease developers face in the EU market. So Sangeeta, considering the current landscape for rare disease, can you speak to some of the major trends impacting rare disease manufacturers right now? Thank you for the question. As we think about sort of three key changes in the landscape as manufacturers are thinking about bringing products to market in Europe, you know, I sort of immediately think about products such as ATMPs and innovative therapies getting reimbursement for a narrower patient population. What I mean by that is that an organization or or EMA is approving the use of products in a much larger patient population as manufacturers are seeking reimbursement, HTA agencies or or payers are trying to drive value. And so therefore, they may start subgrouping the patient population in order to understand where they're going to get not only the best clinical value, i.e. isolating and identifying patients that are really going to benefit from the new treatment alongside that economic evaluation as well. What we're also seeing is that manufacturers are starting to leverage the use of real-world evidence. Real-world evidence is starting to become a real powerful tool in order to substantiate and validate the use of treatments in patients in a healthcare setting. So we're starting to see real-world evidence and real-world data starting to play a more prominent role in substantiating the clinical value of a product. And also the other third thing that manufacturers and clients need to be aware of is a change in the way that Europe will evaluate products for market access. We're going to see a pan-European reimbursement evaluation coming to market in 2026. So manufacturers will have to start thinking about a European-wide population and a European-wide strategy as they come to Europe. So those are some significant trends. Breaking them down a bit, can you discuss the restrictions imposed by the HTAs in a bit more detail? Yeah, so if we look at some of the recent approvals, particularly for the cell and gene therapies, we see HTA bodies restricting the patient population to a smaller subset, as I sort of mentioned. So if we think of imiglia, for example, it's a cell therapy, it's an ATMP for the treatment of unresectable melanoma. In the label, it is restricted to patients in which the cancer has spread to other parts of the body. Mm. But in England, the use of amygdala has been restricted to patients who not only have unresectable melanoma that has spread, but have also failed in immunotherapy. So, In England, that treatment has been an additional hurdle has been put forward in order for this product to be used in patients in England. 
If we think of Takatis, for example, this is a T-cell-based therapy that's used to treat relapse refractory mantle cell lymphoma, and it's restricted to the use after two or more therapies. Whilst it has been approved for reimbursement and use in Canada, it has been restricted to only one therapy, right? So patients who fail this therapy will not be able to receive that treatment again, but the healthcare system is only prepared to pay for it once. What we're also seeing is Takatis in the UK, whilst again it was recommended for use, it was recommended for use through the Cancer Drug Fund. What this means is that the healthcare system will need to collect more clinical data in order to substantiate and justify its use in the patient population. And the reason why this has been put forward is that that data that's been collected through the Cancer Drug Fund will help reduce the uncertainty in the evidence whilst it's being used in patients in England. So those are great examples, and I'm hearing real-world evidence as a, as a key theme. Can you talk about how manufacturers can use real-world evidence in new ways to meet these emerging requirements? Yeah, and what we're also seeing is HTA bodies like Germany, like France, you know, I sort of mentioned England already, they are starting to bring frameworks in in order to advise manufacturers on the approach for the use of real-world evidence. What we advocate for is understanding where are the gaps in your evidence, where is the greatest uncertainty when it comes to your clinical data, and how can you use additional data sources, registry data, collection of real-world information through patient surveys, through healthcare provider surveys, in order to reduce that uncertainty. Because we should be thinking about how do we use real-world evidence to collect information that is going to be driving decisions. And in order to do that, we need to understand upfront where are the uncertainties and where are the gaps. One of the things that comes to mind when it comes to orphan and ultra-orphan diseases is that there's usually no existing treatment or standard of care is not universally defined. What this means is that standard of care will be different depending on which market you go to, depending on what region in some cases, you know, if we look at Spain, how is a patient being treated in that healthcare system? In that sort of circumstances, by engaging with clinicians, by engaging with healthcare professionals, not only can a company gain that market-level insight into clinical practice and start engaging with those clinicians, but they can also start collecting real-world information and evidence that will help substantiate the treatment algorithm as they approach the payers. And this information can be used to not only justify your choice of comparators, but it could also be used to then substantiate some of your pricing negotiations as well. Again, you know, if you are considering coming to Europe and you are thinking about an early access scheme, think about how you can structure that early access scheme to collect data 
on patients and clinical outcomes that can then be used in your HTA submissions. So again, you know, as manufacturers are coming to market, early access schemes, early engagement with healthcare professionals and prescribers can be a rich source of of information on how to leverage real world evidence into your HTA submissions. And again, as manufacturers are planning their clinical trials as they are planning their market access strategies. You know, think about those different scenarios and what parameters are required in order to build those scenarios and what evidence is required in order to test those scenarios as well. Great answer, Sangeeta. It sounds like there's no shortage of real-world evidence applications throughout the life cycle. So in addition to real-world evidence, I'm curious to know how you're helping sponsors really anticipate and prepare for some of the the pan-European reimbursement schemes that are going to come into play. Yeah, and and again, that is the sort of the holy grail, you know, what is going to happen in Europe and what can we be doing now in order to plan for that? I think there's a considerable amount of uncertainty on how this pan-European or joint clinical assessment will actually work in practice. You know, how will an evaluation committee determine exactly what is the most relevant comparators given the standard of care across those 27 EU member states may vary greatly. Again, you know, how will a pan-European committee determine clinical value, particularly for a treatment that's coming to market with potentially paucity of data, but also products that are coming to market that are treating patients very early on in their disease, and therefore you might not see those long-term outcomes. So what other outcomes are going to be relevant for that decision-making process. What we've been advising clients is to continue to ensure the collection of robust clinical evidence, right? Ensuring that you're planning for a still-in-market evaluation, but start collecting and aggregating that data in order to build a European-wide perspective and insights that can then be used in any European level discussions. We would also recommend starting to build European level tools. You know, we talk about routinely uh, when we talk about HTAs, we talk about um, cost effectiveness analyses, we talk about budget impact models, we talk about comparative effectiveness in the form of network meta-analyses. All those tools should have a scenario that includes a European wide perspective or a European wide patient population and start building in those scenarios so that you can test all the parameters that is going to drive decision making. So one last question, Sangeeta, and recognizing the uncertainty that you just painted for us, you're going to have to put on your crystal ball a bit for this one. So as the reimbursement landscape becomes more standardized and more data that's non-randomized clinical trial sources becomes widely available, what do you see as the primary mechanisms HTAs will rely on in the future for reimbursement assessments? I think the use of real-world data, you know, I can't stress that enough, really understanding how will your product be used and what difference will it make to patients 
in clinical practice. I think that's where the real key and nuggets are going to be. I think we also need to leverage and utilize some of that early data that we are generating through the phase one, phase two trials and start to use some predictive analytics in order to understand alongside that real world evidence, what is the impact of the treatment on patients. I think what we're also starting to see is a prominence of the patient voice. So really engaging with patient groups to understand what is the real unmet need and how patient experiences can be leveraged in ensuring that the treatment is as effective as it can be. I think the other thing that certainly payers will be using is the pricing negotiations. I think manufacturers will start seeing tougher more significant focus on price. And again, this is where sort of that outcome-based entry agreements may come into play. So really testing what are the parameters that are driving not only the clinical value of your product, but also the economic value. And how can you be generating evidence to substantiate any price point that you have, but also to help and support in those pricing negotiations as well. I think manufacturers will normally default to the price. And I think it's really important for manufacturers to start collecting robust evidence to substantiate the price of any new products. So as always, Sangeeta, you've provided excellent insights to consider. As our discussion comes to a close, I just want to thank you for being such an informative and engaged guest. And I'll remind our audience to tune in regularly for future episodes of New Medicine's Novel Insights. Goodbye for now.